to be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Throws over the middle, wide open for across the five. He's in. Touchdown, Houston. Fires underneath. This is intercepted. Back-to-back possessions with picks for this Texans defense. Takeaway number three on the day. Game day is every day. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Now, it's Texans All Access. Oh, yes, it is. Hello, Texans. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you. It's Thursday. It's game weekend number three. There's nothing like it. The NFL season. We've got action tonight, too, with the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers going at it. Let's go at it now with the general, John McClain, who joins us every Thursday night. General, good evening. What are your thoughts on the week three matchup? Texans at Bears, two second-year quarterbacks going at it, and both teams want it so badly. Good evening. Hi, good evening, guys. I thought before the season, as you guys did, because we talked about it, that the Texans' best chance that we looked at the schedule to win, of course, would be against Jacksonville because they've beaten them eight consecutive times, and the Jaguars are coming off that 24-0 victory over Indy, and they look better than we thought. And the Bears are 1-1. One one. They beat the 49ers. Trey Lance struggled big time in the rain, a downpour at Soldier Field. And I remember looking at halftime of that game, and Justice Fields' rating was like 2.7. Then he threw two touchdown passes in the second half. But it's pretty obvious that Pep Hamilton, if he doesn't give the ball to Damian Pierce 25 times in this game against a run defense that is the worst in the league by far, 189 yards a game allowed, then something's wrong. They want to run the ball and control the clock. There's two teams with the worst run defense of the Texas, the Bears and the Titans. And I'm writing this right now, column for SportsRadio610.com, about the running games and the run defenses and how what a key factor it's going to be Sunday. That would certainly take a lot of pressure off Davis Mills, who's coming off one of his worst performances. General, the Bears, Justin Fields, the class of 2021 really hasn't um, uh, set itself apart. Maybe Trevor Lawrence, that performance last week. But Justin Fields for the Bears, if my number is correct, the Bears are averaging 76.5 yards per game through the air. But he's pretty dangerous through his legs. What kind of test the Texans have in facing Justin Fields, second-year quarterback at Ohio State? Well, we say that, and he's averaging 2.5 yards of carry, so they've done a good job of keeping him boxed in, and the Texans have to do that. You know, Jonathan Grenard, Jerry Hughes, and now Rasheem Green, they've got to set the edge and not let him get outside. The one they need to worry about is David Montgomery. Remember two seasons ago when the Texans had their worst loss of the season and they made Trubisky look like a Hall of Fame quarterback with three touchdowns and a 126 rating, and Montgomery had an 80-yard run, and he's still their leading rusher, and they got a guy, Khalil Herbert, who is second. So you know they're going to run the ball a lot. And, of course, I would imagine that when in their play action, they got Darnell Mooney, and he burned the Texans big times two seasons ago. And in this game, if I were them, I'd try to run it between the tackles. And then when the Texans started to try to stop Montgomery and Herbert between the tackles, I would have uh, Phil's do some RPOs and then fake it and take off around the corner and see if they could get Grenard 
and Hughes caught inside, maybe get him down the sideline because their passing game has been awful. A league low 15 completions, a league low 28 attempts, and I'm not sure what the deal is. You know, in the first game, of course, the wind and the rain, they didn't throw much. Then they got to go to Lambeau Field. They may not be as bad as people are thinking uh, because it's been in bad bad conditions. And then at Lambeau, when the Packers bounce back from their opening loss, but the Texans can win this game. They, they should – I'm not saying they should be. They should have beaten Indianapolis, and they could have beaten – the Broncos to be 2-0, and and, you know, just a play here or there. I asked Lovey Smith, what, how do you, what do you tell your players to keep them confident when they're in that situation where one or two plays, you're in position to win a game as opposed to losing that confidence because they keep not making it. He said, you show them. You show them the plays they could have made, how close they are, and then you work a little bit harder on that and so we'll see this week if it pays off with their first victory, and they could be in first place. John McLean joining us. John, on the injury report today, Farrow Brown shows up with a shoulder and a DNP that's a did not participate, along with Kurt Heinisch, who has a foot problem, apparently. He did not practice today, but let's focus on the tight ends here. Brevin Jordan, two straight days, no practice. Farrow Brown shows up today. Well, we have our old friend Jordan Akins on the practice squad who could be elevated. What are your thoughts on the tight end position and how they might handle things this weekend against Chicago? Well, the tight ends didn't do squat in this game after O.J. Howard had two touchdowns in the first one. He had one catch for seven yards. You know, you got to incorporate him in the passing game. And I'd love to see Jordan Akins back on the field. At least we know he's produced. I don't imagine, I don't expect to see Brevin Jordan because when you've got an ankle injury and you're required to do what a guy in his position is required to do, I just don't see it. I was surprised by Farrow, you know, but he's been in and out of the lineup ever since he got here. But if it's if it's O.J. Howard and Jordan Akins, I'm good with that. General, in the passing game, Nico Collins, Brandon Cooks, both had four catches last week uh, against the Denver Broncos. Now, this is a bare secondary that's a lot better than people think, but they are playing two rookies back there. A, how important is it to get those two guys involved, and which B, which one do you think should end up being the go-to guy in this one against the Bears? Well, I would say Cooks because he's the best receiver on the team, but Collins, after catching two for 26 in the first game, you know, he, he uh, led the team in yardage and had a couple of good games, including on the last series, in which it looked like they had a chance to go down there and at least tie the game, and then they didn't. But they got to get Nico involved more. We saw in preseason what he can, preseason in camp, what he can do when he's fighting a guy for the ball. One of the things that looked like to me, and I went back and watched every play multiple times, especially with Mills and the receivers. His receivers are not getting the separation you want, so his his passes, he's trying to make them pinpoint where they can catch it and the DB can't. Sometimes you got to throw it and let the, D, the, the receiver fight the DB for it. And if I wanted one of those guys to do that, of course it's going to be the 6'4", Nico Collins. So if they can run the ball well and get Pierce the ball, 20 to 25 times, that would work wonders for the play action. And maybe they can have some receivers get or tight ends get open. I wouldn't mind seeing them throw the ball 
to Pierce out in the flat and see if they can get him in some one-on-one because he does a really good job of breaking tackles. All right, it's time to play Guess How Many. It's the new game show sweeping the nation. You both get a chance to guess how many, and the question is, how many winning seasons have the Bears had since both these teams hooked up in 2012 in that soaker at Soldier Field that the Texans won? How many winning scenes have seasons have the Bears had, General? Four. John, One. what's your guess, Johnny One. Harris? One. It is correct. John Harris wins our prize of nothing. It's just pride. One oh. winning season, 2018. They were 12 and four. They had a couple of eight and eights. Everything else was a losing season. They actually went to the playoffs in that 2020 year, where they beat the Texans at Soldier Field during COVID. They lost the wild card round. But General, are you surprised that a proud franchise like this has struggled so much? This is the Chicago Bears, Papa Bears team we're talking about here. One of the problems they've had is they don't have great quarterbacks. If you go back and look at statistically the quarterbacks they've had and how many have been there a long time and how many can actually throw the ball because they're right there on Lake Michigan, they get a lot of bad weather. I don't blame them wanting to move 30 miles away. I had friends in Cleveland tell me if they'd have put their stadium on the other side of town, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have the kind of wind that they get off of Lake Erie. So they just haven't done a good job. Now they think they did with Fields, but they're – their tradition, as you guys know, just like the Browns, they got to run the football. And to run the football, they need to build their line. They just, they've changed general managers. You know, drafting Trubisky second overall turned out to be one of the dumbest decisions ever made. Now they have to draft Justin Fields. They, the GMs come and go. The ownership, the McCaskey family stays the same. And the GMs come and go, and they just can't get the team where they want it. You know, when they were great with Ditka, they had a great defense. They had one of the greatest running backs in history. And then they had Jim McMahon, who was a serviceable quarterback, but a great leader. And they don't have that right now. And they got Matt Eberflus, as you guys know, most, most, not all, the defensive coordinators who become head coaches are generally conservative, much more conservative than offensive coordinators who get those jobs. General, how bad is it in Nashville with the Titans right now? No, oh, it's amazing, Tom. There's people, well, they need to get rid of Mike Vrabel. They're 0-2, and they lost that first game to the Giants. It was a terrible, terrible defeat. And then they go to Buffalo, and I predicted they'd get crushed. Buffalo's won like seven in a row by double figures. Won't surprise me at all if they go to Miami and win by double figures. Because it looks to me like the only team close to Buffalo is Kansas City because of Patrick Mahomes. And uh, Derrick Henry has been a non-factor. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has been terrible. And they put in Malik Collins. He's not ready to play. And they know he's not ready to play. And if at any point they play him, they might as well wave the, fly, the white flag because they're surrendering. And you can't surrender in this division because, like I said earlier, if things break right and Texans beat the Bears, they could be in first place on Monday. Who are you picking between them and the Raiders this week? I'm taking the Raiders. Titans are on. Titans, they look terrible. Now, Vrabel, as you guys know, is a really good coach. Did a tremendous job last year. And the Raiders have scored a lot of points. 
They've lost two games they could have won. I don't see them starting 0-3. I think the Raiders are going to win. Who the Colts play? They play the Chiefs, of course. The yep. Chiefs are going to win. And who the Jaguars play? The first-place Jaguars. The Chargers. Yeah, they should get beat. So if the Texans beat the Bears, we're going to be talking about the first-place Houston Texans. (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm all here for it. But we're assuming, we're assuming that the Jaguars will lose to the Chargers. Was it a case of just beating a team that they always beat in Duval County? Or have the Jaguars turned a corner with Doug Peterson and now Trevor Lawrence, General? This is going to be a much better indication than that one was because the Colts just looked awful. Matt Ryan looked worse than Carson Wentz looked at any point last year. I think that's seven consecutive losses for them in Jacksonville. And I certainly don't see them winning their first game at home against the Chiefs. Can you imagine? They're like the fans of the Browns. Browns looked at the schedule and they said, well, we're going to start 2-0. and And they're lucky to be 1-1 one and one. And that game they blew to Joe Flacco was unbelievable. I tweeted, I think, yesterday, who who wants the Browns to lose more? Baker Mayfield or the Texans? You know, one's revenge and one's a higher draft choice. And 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 just like other teams, you think the Colts thought the Colts and their fans thought they're gonna start 0 and 2 playing Houston and Jacksonville? No. And they're gonna get crushed in this home game too. Well, they didn't start 0-2. They started 0-1-1. Oh, that's right. Sorry, 0-1-1. But for them, the tie was like a loss. Here, the tie is like a victory. Well, I was on a podcast today. I almost said 0-2. It's just a weird feeling to have that tie up there, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing to keep that number out of the loss column, no doubt. That could come in handy later. We'll see how it plays out. General, if the Jets keep winning – any shot that Flacco holds out of the seat for a little longer until he loses, until he falters? In the first game, Flacco was terrible. He was Joe Flacco. In Sunday, a tree must have fallen and hit him in the head, and he thought that he was the Joe Flacco <laughs> of the Super Bowl season when he was MVP because nobody, nobody it could even dream about him having a performance like that. So, no, I don't think they're going to be any good. But it's like the Cowboys. Jerry Jones was asked on his show, what if when Dak Prescott is ready to come back, the Cowboys are unbeaten with Cooper Rush? And Jerry couldn't go, well, of course, we're not going to be unbeaten with Cooper Rush. But as he said, hey, that's a great problem to have. But the fact is, when Dak Prescott's ready to come back, he's playing no matter what they've done. And when Zach Wilson comes back, you know, he's the quarterback of the future, not Joe Flacco, and I don't think there, anybody's going to have to worry about Flacco continuing to play this way or that's a tough decision to make. All right, General. Bills, Chiefs. You could argue one is number one, one's number two in the league. Who's number three? Eagles, Chargers. I know the Chargers lost to the Chiefs. Um, the Dolphins. Which team is number three behind the Bills and the Chiefs? The Rams, even though the Rams are one and one having lost – uh, to the Bills in the opening weekend. What team is behind, right behind the Bills and Chiefs? Maybe the Buccaneers, 2-0. and 
Buccaneers offense hasn't looked good. Defenses look great. Eagles led the league in rushing last year. They're off to another great start on the ground. Jalen Hurts is continuing to improve. Don't you know they're glad they didn't get Deshaun Watson? They made a big run at him last year, and he told his people no, he wasn't going to Philadelphia. And uh, Miami, I'm pretty sure this week they're glad they didn't get Watson considered to a tongue of a low through six touchdown passes. But since I picked the Chargers to win the Super Bowl and Justin Herbert to be MVP, I'm, I'm not going to downgrade them. I think the Chargers, after that close loss to Kansas City, I think I'd put them number three. But uh, the surprise team and the worst unbeaten team is the New York football Giants. Mm, very much a surprise. And the Texans will be there in November to play them at the Meadowlands. John, I'll go back to some around the league questions in just a moment here. Let's get to Davis Mills, though, who's on the injury report with a right thumb issue, but it's a full participation thing. And we were at practice this morning, and fans just know that Davis Mills is capable of throwing the football. He was throwing it this morning, so that's good stuff, despite whatever that thumb thing is. And maybe Lovey Smith will have something to say about that tomorrow. But where are you at with Davis Mills right now? Obviously, early in the season, he's looking for a big game on Sunday at Chicago. Coming off whatever happened at Denver, the two touchdown passes in the opener need more of that Sunday in the Windy City. Your thoughts? So many people have turned on him after one bad game. I've learned in my 47 years of doing this, 45 in the NFL, you can't judge anybody based on one bad game. And he needs to have a good game, and he needs to help them win. He needs to bring them from behind. But, like, it wasn't his fault when he ran for 16 yards down to the nine-yard line. Tunsil had a penalty. It wasn't his fault Brandon Cooks dropped that play, about dropped that pass. There was another one. Um, at near the end of the game where they had to settle for a field goal and he did something good. No, he did not play well. And his completion percentage at, at, at 56% is way below where he wants it to be. But uh, so is his average per attempt at 5.6. And uh, I think against the Bears, he can bounce back. Then he's got a team. The Chargers, he played great against last last year, one of his three best games, along with the Patriots and the Titans. And uh, it gives him a chance to play even better against them. Now, if he doesn't play well against the Bears and the Chargers, something's wrong. It's not like he's going to be benched. They're going to ride him till the end of the season. But he's got to bounce back. And his receivers have to do a better job, too. You're absolutely right about that, General. He's had a couple of throws. He had one to Chris Moore in the Colts game that should have been caught. Uh, the one we debated that on the radio, the one the, the throw to Brandon Cooks, could have been a better throw. They kind of caught Brandon in between. You'd like to think that one's got to be caught. So I think you're right about that. General, there are two teams in the NFL that are 0-2, that there was a lot made about them in the offseason because one made significant changes as head coach, general manager, and they brought in a high-priced wide receiver. The other one was coming off a Super Bowl trip. Which one has been, and they met in the playoffs, and it was a very, very close game. Which one has been more disappointing, the 0-2 Bengals or the 0-2 Raiders? The 0-2 Bengals because the 0-2 Bengals were in the Super Bowl. And I don't know what it is about losing a Super Bowl that causes such a hangover. And you'd think that the Super Bowl loser, no team would be hungrier than the team that got to the championship game and lost. And their problem, it's not all... Uh, the offensive line's fault. And Joe Burrow holds the ball too long, and they have too many five- and seven-step drops 
They need to incorporate three-step drops. Ball's got to come out to help Burrow get back his confidence because you get sacked 13 times in two games and hit no telling how many other times, it wears on you. And you start to get happy feet, and you're already seeing that with them. As for the Raiders, they've come close twice. They play in the toughest division. They're fortunate to play the AFC South. And Derek Carr's got to quit throwing interceptions. John, the Amazon viewing experience. A week ago, we were telling people, because that was week one of the Amazon package, we were telling people and reminding them that the game's on Amazon, but it's free right here on Sports Radio 610, folks, so don't forget about that as the Cleveland Browns take on the Steelers tonight. What are your thoughts on what you saw, the way it worked, the way, I don't know, the user-friendliness of it all? What are your thoughts? I watched it. And one of the things that bothered bothered me is when uh, they need to turn up their mics in the pregame because they like to get around the fans and you hear the fans too much. I think uh, I like Fitzpatrick. I like Richard Sherman. Uh, there's uh, some things I don't like about it, but overall, I think they do a really good job. And I've always liked Kirk Herbstreit. He's one of my favorite announcers. Of course, Al Michaels, one of the greatest ever. So I thought for their first game, not counting the preseason game here, I thought with so many eyes on them from all over the country, and I'm not talking about just fans, I'm talking about media critics, social media, I thought they did a pretty damn good job. I'm a football traditionalist, General, but I like the different options that you could have during a game. You had an option to watch Dude Perfect and watch the game. You had an option to see some of the geo-tracking stuff that they were doing uh, on their prime, I can't remember what they called it, prime choice. Uh, but they had like four different slots that you, four different channels that you could watch, which I, as a traditionalist, I wouldn't think that, but I actually did like that. So tonight, Steelers v. Browns, we're all Steelers fans tonight. Do you give them a shot? Mitch Trubisky, a shot of beating Jacoby Brissett and the Browns. Of course, Um I'll say this about Trubisky. He's, he's averaging 5.1 yards per attempt. He's just dumping off the ball. I'm, I'll be willing to say Kenny Pickett will be starting in the next couple of weeks uh, because it's not like he's an inexperienced quarterback. It's not like Trubisky came into the NFL. He'd been in college two years and started, I think, 14 games. And I think Pickett, as rookie quarterbacks go, is ready to go. And Trubisky just hadn't showed anybody that he's going to play like he did against the Texans two years ago. And as far as all those gadgets, I'm a traditionalist too, but I, 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 I like to focus on the game. I don't like to be distracted. But uh, I, this is the way we're going. You know, at some point, I saw somebody tweet this. Said, at some point in my life, I'm be able to tell my kids that there used to be this thing called television that we watch sports on. Oh, my gosh. I still enjoy watching it on television. Well, it's a flat screen. It's whatever kind of screen we're going to watch it on. At some point, it'll be a hologram or a brain chip, and they'll download the game into our brains in real time. I don't know how they're going to do that, but it might happen. General, I'm going to throw a take at you in the form of a rhetorical question, Uh and I want you to comment, and it is this. What kind of wacky world do we live in when the Longhorns and Aggies are finally going to get to play again because they're both in the SEC, but Bedlam is going to be canceled? What's going on? Tell me. Well, first of all, Oklahoma's trying to blame it on Oklahoma State. And Mike Gundy said, well, we know. Why? Because they've gone to the SEC. 
But if Texas hadn't gone to the SEC, they wouldn't be playing A&M. And we don't even know about the alignment in the SEC. You would think that A&M and Texas would be in the same division with Arkansas and could renew rivalries. I love watching A&M and Arkansas play. And uh, because I got so many friends that went to those two schools and uh, it is weird. You can't make them, but it's going to be just like A&M and Texas. They're not going to play unless they somehow Oklahoma State ends up in the SEC. General, when the Southwest Conference went away, what rivalry did you miss the most when, when Baylor went to the Big 12? Which rivalry have you missed the most with all this conference realignment with Baylor? Well, Baylor was Baylor and A&M. I used to love to watch Baylor and A&M, especially when Baylor beat them. And then the rivalry I missed the most, of course, is Texas and A&M. Texas and Arkansas had a great rivalry for a long time for all us old fogies. And uh, it was was so good. And then when Arkansas left, went to the SEC, they were almost a non-factor because they didn't recruit Texas like they used to when they were in SWC. But they called it the, the, the hogs coming down from the hills to Dallas and Houston and Waco, everywhere they went. They were supported so well in football and basketball. Don't forget, Tax Act, Texas Bowl, December 28th, NRG Stadium. General, thanks so much for the time. What do you have going on? Gallery Sports and Sports Radio 610, tell us. Sports Radio 610, I'm writing a column right now about the uh, strategy for the game and the team that runs the ball the best will win. And I did one today, my second Astros column in 47 years of being in Houston. The first one was when Gene Elston went in the Hall of Fame, and I wrote about growing up listening to him. So I've got an Astros column on sportsradio610.com. And I'd like to tell people, if they don't want to watch Amazon tonight, they can come straight to Sports Radio 610, and they can get it free, free, free. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you, General. Always a pleasure visiting. And coming up, Johnny Harris and I will play Who's Better? We've got stuff on the Jags, of course, the Texans, on TV viewing. You have to stay tuned to find out it's Who's Better next here on Texans Radio. Texans Radio continues in a moment. With our newest unlimited plan, everyone's welcome. Introducing Welcome Unlimited from Verizon for just $30 a line per month for four lines with auto pay plus taxes and fees. Our best priced unlimited plan ever. Did he say $30? Yep, $30 a line for the whole family. The network you want, the price you love. Switch to Verizon today. Paper-free billing required. Unlimited 5G nationwide 4G LTE. In times of congestion, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. All smartphone lines on the account must be on Welcome Unlimited and are eligible only for select promotions. Includes domestic talk, text, and data usage only. Data roaming at 2G speeds. Community Coffee is proud to be the official coffee of the Houston Texans. For over 100 years, we've served communities like yours with rich, smooth coffee crafted right here in the USA. And as a company that's worked to bring people together since 1919, Community Coffee celebrates the uniting power of fandom, especially for Texans fans in Houston and beyond. We're grateful to be part of the Houston Texans family on game day and every day. Community Coffee, strong as our roots, strong as our roots, strong as our roots, strong as Texans Radio is back. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you. All right, Johnny, we're going to play Who's Better, and I'm sure you are ready to go as always. So Let's go. We will start it off like this. Who's better, Johnny? 
the Bears backs, David Montgomery and Herbert, or the Denver backs we saw last week, Williams and Gordon Esquire. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Williams and Gordon, who had over a hundy, and yet Montgomery, who had over a hundy by himself against the Packers last week, and inexplicably the Bears could not score points somehow because of that or despite that. Uh, so you tell me. Broncos. Javante and Gordon, okay. I think, are – I mean, it's – Gordon is kind of the well the, the difference in this because I think Javante and David Montgomery are pretty similar. I think Javante is a little bit more electric. I think David Montgomery is a little bit more powerful uh, and hurts you with that, with that power. Um, then, again, if you open up the, the C-gap wide, wide open, he can run it 80 yards on you like he showed against us in 2020. Um, and Khalil Herbert's a very, very good backup. I mean, he's the perfect, perfect number two in that offense, especially if that offense wants to run the ball the way that it does. Um, you know, especially with Justin Fields' legs. My company gets tired, you bring in a fresh Herbert, he's tough. But Gordon's seen it all, done it all. And I think he's just a shade ahead of uh, ahead of Khalil Herbert. So I'll give the Broncos the the edge in that one. But I'm glad you brought up Herbert because that one two combination is tough. And they're built very similarly. 510, 225, thick, not the fastest guys in the world, but really difficult uh to bring down. They ran for a lot of yards against the Packers. I'm not sure what the final number was, but they've been running the ball very, very well. So that is a that is a concern. It's it's not as much Justin Fields. You just don't want Justin to play playground ball, if you will. You don't want him off schedule. You don't want him out of the pocket. You don't want him doing those sort of things when they do decide to pass. But when those two are running the rock, man, your gap responsibility has got to be on point. An offensive line can run block. It's not a great offensive line, especially as it pertains to pass protection. But those two running backs can find a seam. They can break some tackles, and they can make some life miserable. So you got to get a lead. Get a lead force fields to have to throw the football and even at that point whatever lead you have may not be big enough because they'll continue to run as they showed against the Packers so you've got to completely eliminate any running lanes you've got to tackle at a pristine level and then you got to hang on and hope against those two powerful backs but I'm gonna give it to the Broncos on that one just because Melvin Gordon I think has got a little bit more than Cleo Herbert at this point I know we're in the middle of who's better, but since you brought it up about stopping the run, what about Fields? Not the ability to run because we know he can do that. He has not thrown it that much. The attempts are so low. Yeah. What are they going to try to do this weekend against the Texans? Well, I think if I'm watching the Texans, the one thing I look at are the safeties. And I look at Jalen Petrie and I look at Jonathan Owens and I look at how quick they are to trigger to the run game. And you have a guy like Darnell Mooney that's got absolute jets. If Justin Fields is good with his ball fakes, that's going to sell those two safeties. And I like our safeties being aggressive, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's a tad aggressive. And then you take Darnell Mooney and you just run him right over the top. So it's run, 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 deep shot, run, 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 deep shot. It's kind of like strikeout or home run. But that's kind of where the Bears are right now. It's not, it's not a consistent enough crew throwing the football that they can live throwing it 25 times. He'll hit you know receivers across the middle, those kind of things. I think it's more run, run, get them in, get them in, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming now. And then they hit the deep shot over the top to Darnell Mooney. I think that's uh, what they may try. You know, in the 2020 game, you know, Trubisky just took advantage of Allen Robinson. That passing game was at a much different level than this one is. They're just not there. But 
if Fields, one of the better deep ball throwers, he's a very good deep ball thrower, it's one read, it fits kind of right into the whole Justin Fields sort of mindset mantra, if you will. That's the key. Those safeties have got to make sure that they're not biting on running ghosts and they're getting burned over the top. That's something they've got to be very conscious of this week. All right, continuing, who's better? Better chance at success, the Bears with Fields or the Jags with Trevor Lawrence? Better ja- chance at success. Boy, I just walked right into that, didn't I? Jeez, well, you're going to pick uh, the Jags. Well, hear my answer. It's the Jags with Doug Peterson. I think Peterson ah. has changed what they're doing offensively. I think he's helped Trevor. I think Trevor also has calmed down. I think the game has slowed down for him as well. Uh, I think he's not trying to carry that whole thing on his shoulders. He knows to get the ball to Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk, I know there's a lot of a lot of talk about the contract that he signed, but he's been worth it at least thus far. He's been the go-to guy uh, for Trevor Lawrence, but Lawrence isn't trying to do too much. He's 25 of 30 the other day. I think it was 250 yards. It was not – you know, when you see guys that are 25 to 30, you know, you think, oh, man, they threw for 300 yards. No, it's a very controlled – it's a movement uh, passing yeah. scheme. I think that helps Trevor. If Doug Peterson had gone to Chicago, I think Justin Fields, we'd see some progress with Justin Fields. But I think we're seeing with Trevor. I think Trevor was overall the better quarterback in that draft. And I think he's starting to show it because Doug Peterson's helping him. Not to say the Bears coaching staff isn't going to get Fields to a certain point. But I do think there were some limitations in Justin's game. And they're just not accentuating or helping him with those particular things as of right now. And I don't think Justin's helping himself either. Um, so I think it's, to me, it's the Jags with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence more so than it is Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields at this point. Okay. Who's better, Johnny? Better legendary Super Bowl winning team. The 85 Bears or all the Steelers Super Bowl wins from the 70s. Now, I say it this way, not who would win, but who's better? Who's remembered better? Who's thought of better? Who is better loved, perhaps? I think the I think the 85 Bears would have barely beaten each of the Steelers uh, Super Bowl teams, and it would have been really, really close. I think maybe the 78 team for the Steelers might have been the one um, because that's really when the passing game took off for the Steelers, and they still had Franco uh, and Rocky Blyer. I think they both ran for 1,000. Maybe that was, that was a couple years early in 76. Either way, point being, I think the Bears would have really shut down those teams, and they would have done enough offensively with Walter Payton running the rock, with McMahon doing a – you know, like we just talked about Justin Fields, Walter, a lot of Walter Payton, and then boom, hit some deep shots to Willie Galt. But the one thing about the Steelers, the 74-75 teams, those are defensive dominant teams, and the offense was kind of like a tag-along. I mean, that those offenses wouldn't have even scored against the Bears. The 78-79 teams, they were more offensively driven. They hit the deep shots, but the running game was starting to fade a little bit and the defense was starting to get older, I think the 85 Bears team would have been able to take advantage of that. I think the best game would have been the 78 Steelers and the 85 Browns. That would have been a, a, a nail-biting, like, 20-17 to 17 game, and there would have been a lot of dudes put in the hospital with how physical that game would have been. 
Do I overinflate how the 85 Bears are remembered, that that is probably one of the most nationally loved teams that has ever played in this league? And just people who aren't from Chicago just think that team is so awesome. And they were awesome. But the team with the Super Bowl shuffle, the Jim McMahon's image, the refrigerator, all that stuff, people ate that up. Well, the row on top of that, Buddy Ryan and Mike Ditka, and there was drama. There was drama all year long with that team. And, I mean, not always bad drama, but, you know, they shot Super Super Bowl shuffle the Tuesday they got back from getting beat by Miami. The only loss they had that year. They go and shoot the Super Bowl shuffle the day after that. And it's like, man, is this going to blow up in our face? And they were like, nah, we're good. And they went and they ran a they ran a table. They were completely dominant. They with the fridge that kind of took it over the top. They had one of the most respected players ever in Walter Payton. Jim McMahon was uh, every single week. You just kind of had to see him, and he was finally healthy. And then of course that defense led by Buddy Ryan. You know, I, I remember something Brian Billick said. I was watching America's game two thousand because those game, those teams are often compared two thousand Ravens and eighty five Bears because the two thousand Ravens won with defense. And I remember Billick saying. If you win with defense, a lot of times you're thought of kind of like thuggery and, oh, uh, you won with defense. Those teams aren't as highly thought of because it was the defense that carried you and not the sexy offense. But with the Bears, they had enough guys and personalities on the offense to go with that dominant defense. Oh, yeah. On top of having two coaches that just went at each other all the time it added to everything and then the dominance just each and every week just grew and grew and grew um and look as a as a kid i mean i was was 13 years old um i was a packers fan growing up before i got here and i was here in 85 but i was still had that packers love in me so i hated that 85 team hated it respected it but hated it and hated Monday night when the fridge is carrying the ball and making a you know embarrassment of the Packers on Monday night football. I mean, God. So yeah, I didn't really truly enjoy all that. Um, now many years later, I do. I respect it probably a little bit more. But man, that was a yeah respect the game. It was a nationally known phenomenon in Chicago. It was thinking back. I I hope there's a team in the NFL that we can kind of find that sort of thing out because that was a really romantic time with that particular team. Yeah, I hope that team would be in Houston, Texas. Yes. That would be awesome. Good uh, who's better, color commentator, Herb Street for college football, or pick your NFL guy. Is it Aikman? Is it Romo? Is it Collinsworth? Pick your NFL guy, Johnny. Who is it? Ooh. Well, can I pit Herb Street against Herb Street? I guess you could. I mean, I could. I could. Um, I don't. I mean, I think. I think Kirk is fantastic. I mean, the general said it. I, I think he does NFL well too. There was a. There were a couple things he said the other night where I was like, okay, uh, Kirk, you missed on that one. But, but I get it. I listened as much as I could to the A Miami game when I got back to the hotel because where we are at the, we really couldn't hear anything. And I, this is a guy that did a game on Thursday, NFL game on Thursday, did game uh, college game day on Saturday. And then flew to AM to do the AM Miami game at night. And I was like, okay, I'm waiting to hear the fatigue. I'm waiting to hear him make mistakes. I'm waiting to hear. And, and none of that. Like, there was none of that. I mean, he yeah. just seemed like he was totally on his game. It was really impressive to listen to. I would think in the NFL. D- uh, oh, boy. I, you know, I think is he's not. I mean, he's the number one now on Fox. I think Greg Olson's very good. 
I think Greg Olson is very, very good. I enjoy listening to Greg Olson as an analyst. Um, he, I think he's done a really nice job. But I think of the known guys, the guys doing the national games, um, I would probably say that Aikman is probably more my style, I guess, than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Okay, coming up here, I need a key stat that must change. Give me one key stat that must change, and it can't be scoring more points, against the Bears that was in place last week in Denver. I've got one. I want yours. It's all coming up next. It's Texans Radio. Texans All Access continues in a moment. If you've wanted to buy Bitcoin but didn't know how to get started, try BitWallet, the official digital currency wallet of the Houston Texans. Go to the website bitwallet.org and download the BitWallet app and you'll get started right away with the fastest, simplest way to buy Bitcoin with your debit card. It's Houston founded and based. BitWallet has a platform for individuals and businesses with no fees and no chargebacks. BitWallet.org. BitWallet. Org BitWallet. Org. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris, as we talk about Texans at the Bears. Johnny, when Green Bay played Chicago the other night, it was a Sunday night mm-hmm. game, one of the weirdest stat games you'll ever see. Somehow the Bears only scored 10 points while rushing for 180 yards and being even in the turnover battle. They averaged 6.7 yards per carry. Give me some of that, please, some of that rushing yardage number. All right, I'm going to give you my stat. You give me yours. We're going to run out of show quickly here, though. My stat is third downs. Look, I I could say a big rushing yard total, and that would be awesome. But third downs, if you are converting third downs at a better clip and they had all those third and four, third and five, third and six, you were reading them off on the air the other day. Uh If they can just get – three or four more of those in a similar type game, in a, in a similarly played game, well, you're looking at a completely different result. We all want to see Pierce get more carries. You know how you get more carries? More possessions or extended possessions with those conversions. And you've got it there. And obviously that means Mills is throwing the ball well and they're catching it. You're not having the drops or whatever else plagues you in the passing game at the moment. Your stat, please. Success on third down leads to more trips to the red zone in two games how many trips to the red zone do we have oh my gosh well last week you're 0 for 1 and then the two touchdowns were scored oh one was in the red yes. zone on good. Uh, opening day very the other good one was outside two, two trips to the red zone touchdown the first one, one field goal in the second so you're averaging five trips per trips. red zone that's not enough trips I mean, not enough trips. Now, against the Broncos, you only gave them two trips to the red zone, but it was the one outside the red zone they scored a touchdown on. So you've got to have trips into the red zone. Now, obviously, you want your red zone defense to be uh, at the same level it was the other day, holding them inside the five twice to two field goals. But you've got to get into the red zone. You've got to get into scoring territory often. And obviously, once you get to the red zone, it's sevens, not threes, especially against a team like the Bears that is – scoring challenge more sevens you put up the more pressure you put on fields but man you got to get in the red zone and then be effective in the red zone not settling for three so one one out of two down in the red zone but just having two red zone trips in two games uh that's that's not going to cut it for this team i see this as a game in the teens until further notice the Texans are a team that's going to be, well, you want to get to 20 points and beyond, obviously, but it's just hard to see it 
right now. Right. Although there's a breakout game at some point, maybe sure. it's this weekend. But I could see it being a low-scoring game, a twenty to seventeen, uh, seventeen to sixteen kind of game. How do you see it? Yeah, I think you're right on it. I feel like twenty sixteen. Something like that, maybe kind of an odd score. Maybe there's a, a safety or something happens. Kind of a kind of a weird score, if you will. You know, like 1911 or I don't know something like that. It was 1910. What the Bears beat the 49ers, which I'm still kind of scratching my head at after watching the Bears Packers game. Like, man, the Bears ran the ball pretty well, but man, they couldn't do anything else, and they really didn't stop the Packers from running the ball at all. They were sieve, and it's just weird to watch the Bears run defense be attacked like that uh, against the Packers. So it feels low scoring and that's why a successful red zone trip that comes up with seven could be ultimately the difference you settle for three eh, but you put a seven up there now you're putting pressure on them uh and that's the one that's the one place you want to be you want fields to have the ball in his hands late in the game with pressure on him down 10 down a touchdown and he's got to produce and have that pressure on him i'll i'll take that all day so get the ball in the red zone be successful in the red zone turn them over a couple of times, and then put the pressure on fields to have to pull it out in the end, and hopefully you walk out of there with a W. Mm. It's hard to judge anything from the numbers of the Bears' first game with the 49ers on the rice paddy, right. but the Niners ran for a buck 22 without Trey Lance's rushing numbers. He ran for 54 yards. You take those out, they still had a healthy total, so it's really interesting to see that the Bears are giving up a lot on the ground, and maybe the Texans can make some hay that way. Johnny, thanks so much. Looking forward to the keys tomorrow night, a visit with Lovey Smith, a whole bunch of other good stuff on the Friday Night Texans All-Access program. Thank you very much, Chris, for producing tonight. And coming up next, for free, it's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns Thursday Night Football. Have a great night. Go Texans! This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. The Houston Texans and Schlumberger are proud to present the Houston Texans Stats Challenge for our seventh consecutive year. This program is designed to help middle school students learn and sharpen their math skills using the game of football. With interesting lessons, interactive worksheets, and fun videos from Houston Texans representatives, the Stats Challenge makes math a blast for everyone. Last year, over 700 teachers and 85,000 students across Texas completed the challenge. Help your local middle school be the next to join them. Visit HoustonTexans.com for more details and go Texans. More details.